Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inside Oversight, a podcast of the Veteran Affairs Office of the Inspector General. This is your host, Adam Roy. Today's episode will focus on the Vet Center Inspection Program and its related reports. For brevity purposes, we will often use the acronym VCIP, that's V-C-I-P. Now this program's purpose is to provide oversight of vet centers which deliver a multitude of social and psychological services to veterans, including mental health counseling. We're going to talk about the history of vet centers, OIG's oversight of vet center operations, and the findings from the first five VCIP reports published by the VAOIG. To help me do that, I have Mashid Lee and Dr. Bina Patel with me today. Mashid is a healthcare inspector and Dr. Patel is an associate director here at the VAOIG. Thank you both for being here. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having us today, Adam, and feel free to call me MASH. Absolutely. Yeah, this is great, and we're really excited to share what we've learned, and thanks for having us, like MASH said. Awesome. And I also have Lindsay Gold with us, who I'm going to talk to later about the VAOIG's published VSIP reports. Uh, Lindsay, good to have you, too. How are you? Thank you for having us, Adam. I am great and excited to share some VSIP info with everyone. Okay, awesome. All right, let's get started. Uh, Bina, let's start by helping the listener get an understanding of vet centers. Can you explain what vet centers are and why they were established? Yes. So vet centers, the services they offer and where they sit operationally within VHA is really less widely understood compared to services that are offered within the more traditional hospital-based or outpatient healthcare settings. So it was back in 1979 that Public Law 9622 was signed, and that established Readjustment Counseling Service, which is also known as RCS, and it's the branch of VHA responsible for operation and oversight of vet centers. Okay. And Mash, why was there a need for vet centers uh, specifically during this time period? The Readjustment Counseling Service was established to assist returning Vietnam-era veterans transitioning back into civilian life. Many vet center counselors, being veterans themselves, understand that transition. It was authorized as a separate program from VA medical facilities, partially based on the premise that many Vietnam-era veterans were distrustful of the government and would not seek VA care. Ah, okay, that's very interesting. And so why was having vet centers separate from VA medical facilities um, so important? Well, it was believed that providing services in an outpatient mental health setting would reduce the stigma associated with mental illness. Post-traumatic stress disorder wasn't a recognized mental health diagnosis in 1979, so vet centers were really ahead of their time in addressing wartime trauma. One of the sayings you often hear when people talk about vet centers is help without the hassle. Thank you. Bina, tell me about that, uh, the Readjustment Counseling Service organizational structure. I mean, how many vet centers are there? Sure, Adam. So when we're picturing RCS, I want you to imagine that there are three levels. The first level is where the chief officer, Michael Fisher, sits and he oversees the whole organization. From there, we move into that second level, which is comprised of five separate districts. And then there's a third level with the individual vet centers, of which there are 300. Okay. Share with me a little bit more about the district level. Okay. There are five districts and they're spread across the 50 states as well as Puerto Rico, Guam, American Samoa, and the Virgin Islands. The district office 
has one district director who oversees that entire district. Each district is then further split into anywhere from two to four geographically organized zones. The zones then has its own leadership team that includes a deputy district director and associate district directors for counseling and administration, all of which oversee the administrative and clinical operations of vet centers that are located in the zone. And where do the uh, individual vet centers in the community fit into this structure? That's a great question. Each zone leadership team is responsible for about 18 to 25 vet centers. And then each vet center consists of a small interdisciplinary team of a vet center director, readjustment counselors, a veterans outreach specialist, and a program support assistant. Some vet centers also have outstations and mobile vet centers as part of their services. The outstations and mobile vet centers are managed by the vet center director. The outstations are typically located in more rural areas, allowing easier access for clients. And then the mobile vet centers are just that. They move around, assist with special events and community crisis situations, and provide services at certain locations based on need. And just to uh, clarify, are vet centers located near a VA medical center or a VA medical facility or within a VA medical facility? You know, vet centers are actually established in the community so that they can promote ease of access for clients, and they typically have convenient locations for all modes of local transportation. Because of these established community partnerships, vet center counselors can and also do conduct outreach and provide services within those communities at locations such as local libraries and those areas that are located at some distance from vet centers. Awesome. Okay. so. There seems to be an emphasis on the veterans' military experience and the importance of pride in their service. Mash, can you tell us a little bit more about that when in, re in, re in regards to the, the readjustment counseling service? Certainly. RCS care is enhanced by the presence of veteran staff on vet center teams. By design, the vet center's interior decor resonates with a veteran's military experience through display of military artwork and memorabilia. The vet center's relaxed, non-institutional culture is also planned to represent the local community and really enables veterans to feel at home. Okay, and I know we've keep we've keep saying readjustment counseling. So, you know, for any listeners out there that maybe are, um, and maybe they're they're not a veteran themselves, or they don't, you know, they're not familiar with these programs. Can you explain readjustment counseling and elaborate more on what the the services vet centers provide? Yeah, absolutely. So vet centers serve both active duty service members and veterans, and this includes the National Guard and Reserves, but they also serve their family members too. The centers provide both psychological and psychosocial services, but vet center staff do not diagnose, nor do they require the clients to have a mental health condition in order to get their services there. Now, when you're talking about readjustment counseling, it can help individuals and their families transition successfully from their military lives to their civilian life and address some of those traumatic events individuals may experience in the military. But vet center services aren't just limited to counseling either, Adam. They also have a veterans outreach program specialist who's also known as a VOPS, and they're veterans themselves, and they spend time in the community to improve awareness and access to care through some face-to-face -face connections they make with veterans in those communities. Great. And, and uh, MASH, did you want to add anything to that? 
Yes. Just to add on to what Bina was saying, I, I think it's important to know that although vet centers are not open 24 hours a day, they do have evening and weekend hours that vary by vet center. They also have a 24-hour a day, seven days a week call center that's available for veterans, service members, and their families to talk about their military experience or any other issue they're facing with readjustment to civilian life. In an event of a suicidal caller, the call center can seamlessly transfer calls to the VHA crisis line. And the staff at the call center is composed of combat veterans from different eras and family members of combat veterans. So this, the call center sounds, uh, that seems like a very valuable resource to veterans. Um, uh, MASH, can you go, who can go to a vet center? Vet center eligibility has expanded several times over the years. Individuals who are eligible to receive services at vet centers include individuals who served on active duty military in any combat theater or area of hostility, including members of the National Guard and Reserves, individuals who have experienced a military sexual trauma regardless of gender or service area, individuals who provided direct emergency medical, mental health care, or mortuary services to the casualties of combat operations or hostilities, and individual crew members conducting combat drone operations, regardless of their physical location. These are just a few examples. For full eligibility information, individuals should contact their nearest vet center. And how would eligible veterans um, establish care at a vet center? Eligibility can be established in a variety of ways. Discharge paperwork is probably the most common way, but a veteran can bring in awards or deployment orders. Anything to show deployment to a combat zone would be accepted as evidence. And Bina, you mentioned earlier that vet centers also provide services to family members as well. Yes, um, vet centers see family members as long as it's tied to that veteran's readjustment to civilian life or for services such as bereavement counseling. And um, what other types of counseling are offered and, and is there an associated cost with that? So vet centers provide therapy and it's provided in different treatment modalities such as individual group and family therapy. There's actually no time limit to services as long as it's related to that individuals actively working on their treatment goals and there's actually no cost either to the veteran or service or excuse me family member. Okay and um, do the vet center counselors do they have access to the same uh, you know veteran records uh, in the same, you know, electronic record-keeping systems as uh, the other, as VA medical facilities might have? That's a really good question. Vet center documentation, it's separate from VHA and DOD records, and it's not shared unless the individual signs a release of information. But most vet centers can view VHA electronic health records. Okay, and if they're separate, are veterans able to receive services from both at the same time? Yes, definitely. A client can receive services at both the vet center and the VA. For example, an individual can see a counselor at the vet center and then still see a psychiatrist at the VA for medication management. That's a really good uh, point to make there. And I can see how collaboration between these vet centers and VHA is really important to providing vets with the care and services that they need. And we're going to talk a little bit more about vet centers and the VHA collaboration later on in this podcast. Uh, but for now, um, before you begin... Um, before we began this vet center inspection program, uh, had the OIG previously uh, done any investigations or reports uh, in this area? Yes, prior to launching VSIP in September of 2020, the OIG published five reports on vet centers between 2000 and 2017. The reports range from concerns related to supervision, consultation, quality of care, to care collaboration and documentation. 
four of the five reports resulted in recommendations to RCS. Uh, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Um, can we talk about the 2000 report? Sure. This report did not result in a recommendation for the vet center. However, it did result in a recommendation for the Omaha VA medical facility. We recommended that they have a formalized relationship through a local memorandum and alert the vet center when veterans are referred for medication therapy and talk therapy at the VA. A second report in 2009 found documentation de deficiencies in the vet center client records and recommended that RCS comply with their requirements or revise them to be consistent with practice. And did this 2009 report have any other recommendations of importance? Yes. Uh, one recommendation was for vet centers to have an external clinical consultant from the VA medical facility, and the other was for vet centers to have a seat on the VA medical facility mental health council. Again, as you can see, the focus is on that shared collaboration between vet centers and VA medical facilities. Let's, uh, uh, you mentioned external consultants and the mental health council. Uh, what are those and uh, and what's their importance? Well, vet centers are required to have an external clinical consultant and typically this is a licensed mental health professional who provides peer review of complex and emergent cases. And not only are vet centers required to have that consultant, but they must also have four hours a month of this type of consultation per their policy. The mental health councils meet monthly or quarterly at VA medical facilities and it varies from one VA to another. The meetings are a great way for vet centers to learn about VA services, but also for the vet centers to share their services as well. So there's a very important, um, the relationship between the vet centers and VA medical facilities is very important. Um, were there any other reports on vet centers prior to the launch of the VSIP program? Yes, Adam, there were a few. There was one report each in 2011, 2013, and 2017. Now, that 2011 report focused on oversight, which we're also reviewing in our current inspections. The OIG recommended at that time that team leaders, who we now refer to as vet center directors, perform monthly record reviews, provide supervision and consultation in compliance with RCS policy, and take corrective action in response to district office reviews that were completed during annual clinical quality oversight reviews. Now, that's a mouthful, but essentially, the district office is required to annually provide clinical and administrative oversight of each of its, each of its vet centers to ensure compliance with program requirements. And what themes or uh, takeaways did you identify in those later 2013 and 17 reports? For the 2013 report, it was about contracted care, and there was recommendations that the vet center directors review and approve psychosocial assessments and counseling plans prior to authorizing any contracted counseling services, and that there also be annual reviews and on-site quality reviews for participating contractors. In the 2017 report, this was related to the quality of care at Vision 23 facilities and the St. Paul Vet Center. It recommended that the vet centers identify clients whose non-VA care for post-traumatic stress disorder was terminated and determine which of those clients were offered mental health services and follow up accordingly. Okay, so that's a really good summary of all the prior reports on vet centers. And I think, uh, I think the, the intent here is to, we have a good understanding of what vet centers do, how they came to be, and how they help veterans and their families. Now let's transition to the now vet center inspection program uh, that the VA OIG implemented. How did that come to be? 
So, Adam, as we've discussed, the Vet Center is really an integral part of how veterans receive mental health services. As these Vet Centers evolved and expanded services, which included evidence-based treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder and other psychological counseling, the OIG really became interested in the care Vet Centers were provided and recognized that there's been limited oversight in the past. The OIG wants to ensure that vet centers provide services in accordance with Veterans Health Administration guidance for safe and effective mental health treatment. We also want to ensure that readjustment counseling services and VHA are collaborating as required, as we've mentioned, to provide appropriate care for a veteran population who's often at a higher risk for both mental illness and suicide. So, for the first time, all of these vet centers will be inspected in a cyclical reoccurring basis due to this new OIG program, which we fondly call VSIP. And, uh, MASH, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just to piggyback on what Vina was saying, our, C our, our goal is to provide oversight for RCS vet centers on a cyclical and reoccurring basis. We want to help vet centers identify areas of vulnerability or conditions that, if properly addressed, could improve the safety and the quality of care delivered at vet centers to veterans, family members, and active service members. We've been researching vet center regulations and building the vet center inspection program for over two years, so it's nice to be able to share what we've learned with everyone. Okay, and so we, you know, oversights uh, can be a general term. So, are there any specific areas that these VSIP inspections focus on? Yes, one of the key areas we're evaluating is suicide prevention. So, as many of us know, suicide prevention is one of VA's highest priorities. In 2020, the suicide rate for veterans was one and a half times greater than that for non-veteran adults. So our primary focus of the cyclical VSIP inspections is coordination of care for veterans at high risk for suicide. It was back in 2017 that actually RCS and the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention signed a memorandum of understanding outlining the shared responsibilities between the two offices and suicide prevention coordinators at the VA medical centers. Uh, what were some of those responsibilities? Well, there are many components to that memorandum, so I'm just going to touch on a few. Um, one is there must be a standardized communication process between RCS and those suicide prevention coordinators. VA medical centers are required to share a list of veterans that are at high risk for suicide with RCS. The Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention is required to send RCS a list of veterans identified at increased predictive risk for suicide. RCS staff are required to notify suicide prevention coordinators of clients with significant safety risks in a timely manner, and then RCS staff must receive suicide prevention training. So the, the word that comes to mind right now is collaboration. Yes, that is the true spirit of the memorandum to ensure veterans who are at high risk are getting the best care. This is large part of what the OIG is evaluating through VSIP. Through reoccurring inspections, the OIG evaluates that collaboration and coordination of care between vet centers and those VA medical facilities. It also evaluates services provided for those shared clients. And what other topic areas uh, do the VSIP inspection program or the VSIP inspections cover? 
Well, the VSIP inspection cycle typically runs the course of a fiscal year, which is October 1st through September 30th. During that time, we review different requirements related to leadership and organizational risk, quality reviews, suicide prevention, consultation, supervision and training, and lastly, the environment of care. Let's think about the actual inspection. Uh, do, do your inspectors go to these vet centers? And um, when they're there, what does the process look like? So it's funny you should ask, Adam, our program actually launched in September of 2020. And as many people know, that was right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, which started around March 2020. So we had essentially spent over a year creating the program and our intent was to inspect the vet centers in person. But with the onset of the pandemic, we had to quickly pivot and change plans. We went from an in-person inspection to a virtual inspection pretty quickly. And given the significant impact the pandemic had, on individual health and entire healthcare systems, we added an additional topic to our reviews called the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And let's, let's talk about that. Um, what is a virtual inspection? So we use a lot of technology to accomplish this. We use video conferencing, which is similar to Zoom, to conduct interviews with staff. We also use FaceTime to complete our tours of each vet center for the environment of care review. For the clinical care, we reviewed RCSNet, which is the electronic health record that RCS has to review client charts. Of course, uh, technology offers um, many advantages, but as we all know, uh, you know it can cause setbacks um, and it can cause uh, you know challenges when you're communicating, you know, virtually versus in person. So, um, did you guys face challenges as you went through this kind of process that had to be changed quite quickly? Oh yes, there are definitely some technological challenges that we had to handle with a little bit of grace, and um, but for the most part, we were able to complete our inspections successfully. And how was the topic of privacy addressed when using this technology? So all of our conferencing platforms that we use in our iPhones are secure, so there were no privacy violations. We also required vet center staff to only use government-issued iPhones to ensure that privacy. Oh, that's great. Now, I want to thank you both, uh, Mash, Bina, for your insight into this, uh, into the VSIP program. And now I want to turn um, our focus to the five reports the OIG published from inspections conducted since the Vet Center Inspection Program launched. Uh, these reports were first published in September uh, 2021, followed by several more in December of last year. Uh, Lindsay, uh, the, she, who uh, already introduced, but I'll say again, our director of the Vet Center Inspection Program is going to help me. So Lindsay, thank you again for being here today. And before we get into sort of the specifics of these reports, remind us again how many vet centers there are and how that, um, and how that ties into your cyclical inspection process. Sure, and thanks again for having us here today, Adam. There are 300 vet centers, 80 mobile vet centers, 18 outstations, and the Vet Center Carl Center. RCS has five districts, each with two to four zones. And within each zone, there are 18 to 25 vet centers. So each vet center has a vet center director who's responsible for all vet center operations and readjustment counseling services or RCS is a division within the Veterans Health Administration that oversees all vet centers. So during the design and the building of the inspection program, what factors influenced uh, your decisions and the OIG's decisions? 
we considered numerous factors when designing VSIP, uh, the large geographical coverage area of RCS, the complexity of the center's organizational structure, and the need for a cyclical compliance-based inspections were all things that we considered. Uh, it's, you know, it's an accomplishment, you know, launching a program, getting something off the ground. So to date, we've, how many reports have we published and, um, and where are we going next? So far, we've published five reports of inspections conducted in fiscal year 2020 and 2021. Uh, we visited three districts and 20 individual vet centers in the Southeast, Continental, and Pacific districts. And I should point out that the vet centers are randomly selected for each inspection. So although aligned with VHA, RCS is autonomous in determining the services they provide and how they provide the services. The first step for our team was to really understand the RCS operational requirements, both clinical and administrative. And we did this through an extensive review of RCS policies and procedures. And uh, after that, where did you guys go next? Well, the understanding of RCS policies and procedures is ongoing and RCS continues to evolve and grow. But once we gained that foundational understanding, our next step was to determine specific areas of review. So we've touched briefly on the autonomy of RCS, that its policies are separate from VHA, but RCS also has a clinical documentation system called RCSNet that's independent of the electronic health record used by VHA medical facilities. Okay, and like as Mass mentioned earlier, that vet center and VHA clinical docu documentation systems are separate. Now, did these separate systems, did they create challenges for your inspection teams? Well, the reason for the separation is a federal regulation requiring vet centers to maintain confidential records independent of any other VA or DOD medical records. Vet center records can't be disclosed without voluntarily, I'm sorry, voluntary written approval of the veteran. So the separation of the records did create some challenges for the team when we were designing our inspection process, but more importantly, we found that the separate records created challenges for the vet center's efforts to really coordinate that seamless client care with VA medical facilities, especially around suicide prevention. I can see how that may uh, complicate things. And let's get now into like the, the details of the inspection process. Um, can you tell us what's the focus of the VSIP inspections? Sure. Uh, the VSIP inspections are focused on evaluating the quality and safety of care RCS provides across the nation. In our initial inspections, we focused on five areas. The first area is leadership and organizational risk, which evaluates leadership stability, internal quality oversight processes, and staff perceptions of safety and quality improvement. The second area is suicide prevention. We evaluated adherence to policies for management of clients at high risk for suicide, which are in place to improve outcomes for, for clients receiving care at vet centers. And that also includes policies related to access to care, care coordination with VA medical facilities, high risk client follow-up and crisis plans. Thirdly, we reviewed whether staff are trained and have the consultation support and clinical supervision required to provide client the best care. Next, we looked at the environment of care, including the physical environment of the vet centers, general safety and privacy. And lastly, we evaluated the district staff and vet center directors on how they manage that COVID-19 pandemic, inquiring about policies and procedures, 
how they manage potential exposure to COVID-19 and cleaning practices. Uh, how did you, how did you evaluate suicide prevention at the vet centers? Well, suicide prevention is a priority for VA and a large part of our inspection program. And that's why a portion of our inspection is really focused specifically on that, suicide prevention. We used clinical record reviews, inspection document requests, and interviews with district leaders and vet center directors to evaluate compliance. For clinical record review, we're evaluating if clinical assessment documentation, such as intake and military history assessments and suicide risk assessments are completed. And RCS also requires client case consultation when suicide risk is present or significant safety concerns are identified. So we evaluated whether or not that consultation is occurring. What did you find during this part of these VSIP inspections? Well, we found non-compliance across all districts for the completion of intake, military history, and lethality risk assessments. And in some cases, non-compliance is due to, you know, documentation not being completed, but in other cases, it's related to issues with the clinical record system that really limits our ability to determine when documentation was completed. So we're reviewing if documentation is not only fully completed, but clinically appropriate. And why is this finding uh, significant? Well, in healthcare, we know that positive outcomes are maximized when clinicians involved in a client's care communicate with each other. So RCS requires consultation with the vet center director, associate district director for counseling, VA assigned external clinical consultant, and or other VHA mental health professionals, including the suicide prevention coordinator at that support VA medical facility, whenever a client's risk level increases. And during our inspection, we look for documentation of consultation for complex cases that really demonstrate the type of discussions that can influence clinical decision making. And during um, your team's visits, uh, what other methods did they use to evaluate suicide prevention? Well, one of the strategies and unique elements of RCS is the client-based accessibility to services outside of normal business hours and on weekends. And we evaluate whether each vet center offers services during these non-traditional hours. We found that almost all vet centers were compliant with this requirement. And another strategy RCS uses is providing guidance and procedures to vet center staff to manage a client in crisis. We found that 19 of the 20 vet centers had written crisis plans. Um, what types of other challenges have you seen? Well, vet centers and VHA have a written agreement from the VA Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Operations and Management to enhance shared responsibility, collaboration, and care coordination for suicide prevention with clients re receiving care at both vet centers and VHA medical facilities. And as part of our suicide prevention portion of the inspection, we reviewed that communication and collaboration between vet center staff and the VA medical facility suicide prevention coordinator. We also reviewed the sharing of updated VHA lists of veterans identified at high risk for suicide. So did you find collaboration and consultation between the vet centers and their local VA suicide prevention coordinator? You know, Adam, uh, we found that most vet centers had informal processes in place and reported good relationships with the suicide prevention coordinator, but only three of the 20 vet centers had a standardized communication process.
And we also evaluated if the vet centers were receiving both the high-risk suicide flag as well as the recovery engagement and coordination for health veterans enhanced treatment, which is also known as reach vet list. So, so we were really looking to see if they were receiving the high risk suicide flag veterans as well as those reach vet veterans. And how, and how are these uh, veterans different? Well, the reach vet list is a predictive model to identify veterans who may clinically benefit from enhanced care, kind of outreach or assessment of risk. And those high-risk suicide flag veterans have, have a flag that was placed by the suicide prevention coordinator at the VA medical facility. And that's based on provider assessments that deem the veteran to be at a higher risk for suicide. So RCS has a SharePoint site that's updated monthly, and that identifies clients seen in the past 12 months at the vet center who are on the high-risk for suicide flag list. After the fiscal year 2020 inspections and during the fiscal year 21 inspections, RCS also added clients identified on that reach vet list to the SharePoint site. So we found that this information sharing wasn't really occurring across all the zones. The vet center directors who are responsible for reviewing that RCS SharePoint site each month and identifying clients receiving services at the vet centers they review the client's case to determine what interventions or support are needed, and then they document the disposition of the review on the SharePoint site. And we found that 15 of the 20 vet centers were compliant with completing all the RCS SharePoint site review. So earlier you mentioned that these requirements are part of the suicide prevention review. So it sounds like suicide prevention components are not limited to the suicide prevention portion of the inspection. Are there components of suicide prevention in other parts of the inspection? Ah, very perceptive of you. Suicide prevention is a component of every review area of our inspection. It really is. In leadership and organizational risk, we're evaluating if district leaders completed critical incident quality reviews for serious suicide attempts and death by suicide. We evaluated if staff have completed required suicide prevention training as part of the consultation, supervision, and training portion of the inspection. And this is really a key component in ensuring that vet center staff have the information and knowledge to intervene when clients are in crisis. As for the environment of care inspection, we evaluate the, the safety of the physical environment, uh, such as the availability of items that can be used as weapons in areas accessible to clients, and although not directly an evaluation of suicide prevention, in the COVID-19 portion of the inspection, we evaluated the transition of counseling services from in-person to virtual care through telehealth. An extremely important aspect of preventing suicide is ensuring that clients can access the services they need when they're in crisis. So while mitigating the risk of exposure to COVID-19, we wanted to make sure they were still able to access the services they need. Uh, we also reviewed each vet center's crisis plan to ensure that they had those policies set forth for emergency response. And what were some key takeaways from um, your review of these areas? Well, the critical incident quality review, which is also known as, known as morbidity and mortality reviews, that really allows the district leaders to evaluate clinical care and identify opportunities to improve care when a suicide attempt or death by suicide has occurred. So a panel that includes a mental health professional from the VA medical facility completes that quality review. And staff who were directly involved in the client's care, uh, they aren't included in the panel just to ensure objectivity in the review. 
So across all five districts, there were 53 critical incidents requiring a critical incident quality review, but only 23 of these reviews were completed. So we found only one zone completed all the expected reviews. In regards to suicide prevention training, uh, we found that it was completed for all clinical staff at only four of the 20 vet centers and for non-clinical staff at 12 of the 20 vet centers we inspected. Vet center directors, you know, they explained that training wasn't always correctly assigned in the training system. And they recognized a lack of oversight for the timely completion of required trainings. And although we had several findings related to suicide prevention, we didn't really find any suicide risk safety concerns for the physical environment during the environment of care inspection. Wow. It really, I think like, what this really shows is just the importance that not only VHA, but also the VAOIG is putting on suicide prevention and ensuring that veterans are getting the care they need. It's, that's a, I think it's a good story to tell. Um, let's change gears a little bit and now talk more about the other parts of the inspection. Um, share some of those other components that your teams look at. Sure. Uh, another part of the inspection is the consultation supervision and training review. And this portion of the inspection focuses on evaluating the quality of care provided at the vet centers through review of clinical oversight and collaboration and role-based training. So you look at suicide prevention training. Uh, what other, is there any other trainings did you guys look at that staff's required to take? Yes. We look for the completion of military sexual trauma training for clinical staff. Um, you know, in 1992, vet center eligibility was expanded to include veterans who experienced military sexual trauma. And vet center counselors are required to complete military sexual trauma training so they can effectively meet the counseling needs of clients healing from trauma. We found that military sexual trauma training was completed for all clinical staff at only four of the 20 vet centers. Vet center directors explained again that this was due to the training not being assigned or uh, being assigned incorrectly. And then the final training element we reviewed was the district annual in-service training. So this training is meant to provide education to vet center staff in support of their individual roles and the objectives and goals of the readjustment counseling services. So three of the 20 vet centers were compliant with district annual in-service training requirements. And in most vet centers, the required in-service training had not been provided due to operational challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it sounds like I'm hearing that, you know, the trainings, some of the trainings were not done to, uh, some of the trainings were not done due to a lack of effective oversight controls. Mm -hmm. um, talk about you know, what other, how did you guys look at these oversight processes? Sure. Well, RCS has several oversight processes in place to support and evaluate clinical care at the vet centers. Um, the requirements provide a foundation, but what we found is that they often lack direction and standardization across those 300 vet centers. Two primary clinical oversight processes we evaluated are supervision and clinical record audits. And both are the primary responsibility of the vet center director with district leader oversight. So at the time of our inspections, vet center directors were required to provide one hour of individual supervision to the vet center counselors each week where they would discuss client cases, clinical care, and provide feedback to those counselors. And were these vet center directors complying with the supervision standards? 
Unfortunately, none of the 20 vet centers were compliant with weekly supervision. So vet center directors, you know, said this was due to not tracking or documenting when supervision was done. Um, they also indicated that supervision does not always occur due to client care needs and kind of difficulties in rescheduling the supervision. So it's important to note, I also want to share that in, in January of 2021, RCS implemented a new directive without a clear definition of the frequency of supervision of, of clinical staff. Gotcha. Okay. So besides this weekly individual supervision um, oversight responsibility, what other responsibilities do these vet center directors have? Well, the vet center directors are also responsible for auditing charts for 10% of each counselor caseload. So they evaluate them for completion of required clinical documentation and generally give feedback to the counselors on a monthly basis. Again, we found that none of the 20 vet centers was compliant with completing a 10% chart audit for the clinical staff. Um, and a few factors contributed to the noncompliance. You know, we, we found that often the vet center directors were completing chart audits, but that RCSNet uh, report, which is used to determine caseload and, and track audit completions, was actually inaccurate. And this resulted in vet center directors, you know, creating their own tracking mechanisms, which didn't always capture or document all the information needed for, for OIG to determine if the audits completed met that 10% requirement. So to summarize, the VSIP team found that no vet centers were compliant with the two primary oversight requirements that the vet centers directors were, would have responsibility for. That's right, Adam. Uh, we did see that supervision and audits were occurring, but they didn't meet the RCS requirements. You know, I think it's also important for us to discuss the role of the vet center director. They have so many responsibilities in maintaining clinical and administrative operations of the vet center. In addition to supervising staff and providing feedback, you know, they're responsible for uh, maintaining vet center leases and, and function and safety. They're responsible for updating and maintaining policies. They serve as a liaison to the VA medical facilities for clinical and administrative issues. And they also carry a clinical caseload and provide counseling to clients. So. There's even some vet center directors that also manage kind of day-to-day -day operational issues and crisis. So they definitely have a full plate. Absolutely agree. And earlier, MASH explained that vet centers are required to have an external clinical consultant who is a licensed credentialed mental health professional from the support VA and who also provides four hours of consultation each month. Did your, did your team find vet centers had this in place? Well, this is another responsibility of the vet center directors to ensure that the external clinical consultant meets with the vet center staff for four hours each month. And as MASH mentioned, the external clinical consultant provides support in managing complex and, and high-risk client cases. Unfortunately, Adam, we found that none of the 20 vet centers were compliant with the requirement for that four hours per month of external clinical consultation. You know, we did see that the external clinical consultation was occurring, uh, but again, we weren't able to verify that it occurred for four hours each month due to really that lack of, of tracking and documentation of those meetings. So is it fair to say that a lot of work is happening, that um, the 
the directors are very busy, but there may not be a standardized tracking and documentation system that um, you know ensures that consultations and supervision and audits are 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 happening. Yes, you know we've really gotten the sense from our interviews with district leaders and vet center directors, you know, as well as our document reviews that. Everyone involved understands the important aspects of oversight and, and the importance of that, but we can't verify or evaluate work that's not documented. You know, so district leaders are responsible for completing clinical and administrative quality site visits annually to evaluate vet center compliance with RCS requirements. And, and these reviews are conducted in person every other year with virtual visits in between. So a report is completed listing any identified deficiencies and that vet center director writes a remediation plan with the assistance of the associate district director who completed that inspection. So from the time the remediation plan is developed, the vet center director has 60 days to resolve the deficiencies and that's tracked by the district leaders. And how did you evaluate whether you know, these quality site visits took place and uh, what did you find? Well, you know, we reviewed documentation and through our interviews, we evaluated whether they were uh, done, whether the remediation plans were developed, and deficiency resolution was completed timely in each zone. We didn't evaluate or verify the deficiencies identified in the specific site visit reports, but we found that most zones were compliant with actually completing the annual site visit and developing the remediation plans to correct those deficiencies. Unfortunately, they were non-compliant with documenting deficiency resolution. So in most cases where resolution was documented, we also weren't able to determine if the deficiencies were resolved timely due to that lack of documentation of, of resolution dates and really kind of the thoroughness of that documentation. And earlier you mentioned that you, the team also looks at leadership stability and organizational health. Can you talk about that? Yes. So across the five districts, we found that district leadership teams had been working together from 12 months to three and a half years. So each district on average has four leaders as part of the leadership team, including the district director, the deputy district director, and the associate district directors for counseling and administration. Across the five districts, one district leader position was vacant at the time of the inspection. And we found that district leaders were knowledgeable about quality improvement processes and were able to identify priorities and actions taken in response to the employee feedback from the all-employee survey. And then we also evaluated vet center client feedback. And how does the vet center obtain client feedback? Well, at the time of our inspections, RCS used the Vet Center Service Feedback Form. And, and this was a form that had six questions evaluating how clients were treated and whether Vet Center appointments and locations were convenient. Um, the feedback form also asked if the client felt better because of Vet Center services, if they were satisfied with care, and if they would recommend Vet Center services to another veteran service member or family member. So those surveys were only sent to clients who left care we found that each district had relatively low response rates, but overall client feedback was positive and reflected satisfaction with vet center services. Just in the summer of 2021, RCS actually implemented a new tool called vSignals that surveys veterans throughout their care rather than waiting for when they leave. So that's something we'll be reviewing um, in the future 
of, of VSIP and looking at those vSignal data in, in future inspections. Well, it's really great to hear that clients are satisfied with the care that they're receiving. Uh, and I think it maybe is an example of how um, the veterans are meeting their mission to make care accessible to veterans, service members, and their family members. And lastly, the final part of the, the VSIP inspection is a review of open recommendations. Can you talk a little bit about that one too? Sure. Uh, prior to the inspection, we review open recommendations from previous inspections and investigations. But because VSIP is a new program and there hasn't really been a cyclical review of RCS, we haven't had any open recommendations for our inspections. In the future, if we do identify open recommendations from previous inspections, we would evaluate and determine whether we're able to close those recommendations or if the finding is not resolved. So we've talked a lot about how vet center care is provided and how the and how oversight of this care is completed. Can you tell us a little bit about where the care is provided? Yeah, uh, vet centers are unique in that they're in the community and, and prioritize accessibility to the vet center for, for the clients served. Um, vet centers also celebrate and recognize military service in the vet center decor, which is really customized to the client population. Um, during our environment of care inspections of, of the selected vet centers in each zone, we evaluated the physical environment, general safety, and privacy. So what's, what are those safety factors that you're looking at? Well, we evaluated accessibility of the vet center for persons with disabilities. And we found that all vet centers inspected had designated handicapped accessible parking spaces and building entrances. Uh, vet centers are also required to have exits identified with tactile or braille signs. And across all zones, we found only three of the 20 vet centers were compliant with this requirement. And, and in most cases, vet center directors weren't aware of the requirement. Okay. Uh, another requirement for safety is that vet centers have an updated crisis and emergency plan that provides guidance to the vet center staff in the event of a disaster or emergency, such as you know a telephone or computer outage or disruptive behavior from staff or clients. And we found that 17 of the 20 vet centers were compliant with this requirement. So from what I'm hearing, it sounds like vet centers prioritize making sure their clients can get access to them by keeping non-traditional hours, being located in the community, and maintaining access for clients with disabilities. Um, what, what can the clients expect when they enter a vet center? Well, the vet centers are really committed to making sure veterans can access their services. You know, during our evaluation of the physical environment, we looked at cleanliness and presentability of the building, both interior and exterior. And we really found that most vet center interiors and exteriors were, were clean and presentable. Uh, one vet center had an exterior that was not quite presentable, but we found that the vet center director was actively working to correct that issue. Um, and we really found that all vet centers were, were non-institutional spaces with clean furniture in good repair. You know, we really enjoyed inspecting vet centers across the country and got to see individual touches the vet center staff put into place at their locations. You know, uh, for example, the Sarasota Vet Center in Florida had photos throughout the vet center that were actually taken by one of their clients. And in Midland, Texas, the vet center had a map on the wall where clients could insert pins to show where they served. Uh, that's really neat. Uh, that's, thanks for sharing those examples. Um, what about um, measures to protect client privacy? Uh, did you take a look at that? 
Yeah, the privacy of client information was evaluated by ensuring soundproofing was present for all counseling spaces, and also making sure that veteran documents and information were secured. So all the vet centers we inspected had the required soundproofed individual and group counseling spaces. And of the 20 vet centers we inspected, 15 had secure double locked rooms, which you know, met that requirement for maintaining client records. So during the time of our inspection, RCS was in the process of transitioning paper records to electronic records. And although most vet centers had shredded select records and were maintaining paper records, RCS still required, it required a double locked file room. Yeah, okay. And earlier, Dr. Patel mentioned having to pivot uh, to virtual inspections uh, at the onset of COVID-19. Um, was there anything specific you reviewed in regard to the pandemic? Yeah, you know, rather than traveling to the vet centers, uh, we completed the facility tours virtually because of the COVID-19 pandemic, as, as Dr. Patel mentioned. And we assessed the impact of the pandemic on vet center operations and the availability of cleaning supplies and personal protective equipment. We also gathered information about screening and referral processes to determine if a client may have COVID-19 and how care was transitioned for further medical evaluation and treatment. We received feedback that there were challenges with cleaning supplies and personal protective equipment at the onset of the pandemic, uh, but leaders really worked to resolve the issues as quickly as possible. And many reported that communication processes were enhanced, actually, to keep the vet center staff and clients informed of changes. And, and what did you see was the biggest takeaway uh, in reference to how vet centers handled the onset of the pandemic? Well, the greatest standout in the responses was really the, the quick transition of RCS from in-person services to telehealth and telework and, and really providing more accessibility to vet center clients. It sounds like the inspection resulted in great information and opportunities for improvement. What were some other things you learned um, during these initial inspections? Well, from a clinical perspective, there's were significant concerns about counseling staff not completing suicide risk assessments during that first clinical visit. Improvements are needed for care coordination with VA medical centers working with high-risk clients and specifically communicating expectations for managing high-risk patients in a way that's clear and consistent for all vet center staff. Um, RCSNet is a tool for documentation with significant limitations we've learned <laughs> and in the near future it may outgrow its ability to support the growing clinical activities of vet centers. Uh, the OIG visa team is, is really looking forward to assisting and supporting vet centers as they continue to grow and build upon their already extensive services that they provide to our veteran population. Wow that's a really great summary thanks a lot for sharing that Lindsay. So uh, kind of to conclude, what's your overall impression of this you know, first inspection cycle and uh, the staff who uh, work there at these vet centers? Well, overall, leaders and staff at the vet centers and, and district levels were, were really engaged and interested in telling their stories and sharing how they cared for veterans. And, and they really welcomed OIG staff for the inspection. You know, many of the RCS staff expressed interest in wanting to make quality improvements. They had really positive comments and feedback on how RCS handled the COVID-19 response and encouraged staff to work from home during the pandemic. 
And vet center directors shared that they they wear many hats, clinical and administrative, which unfortunately deters them from being able to dedicate the time needed to conduct quality improvement activities. Thank you again, Lindsay. And also thank, thank you to MASH and Bina for spending time with me today and sharing the impactful work of the Vet Center Inspection Program. You know, government work can be complicated sometimes, and I think you guys did a great job just breaking down, you know, the, what the program is and, um, and where the program's going. And if you're interested out there, listeners, the first five VSIP reports we discussed today, uh, part of this first inspection cycle, they can be found, of course, on our VA OIG website. Uh, go there and under the Publications tab, you're going to select Reports, and then you can filter out by selecting the Vet Center Inspection Program. So that's it for this episode of Inside Oversight. I encourage you to check out other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. This has been an official companion podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. Companion podcasts are produced by the Office of Communications and Public Affairs and are available at va.gov forward slash OIG. Please subscribe and tune in monthly to hear how our work is helping to improve the lives of veterans. Visit the website to learn more about how the VA OIG serves veterans by conducting meaningful, independent oversight. Report potential crimes related to VA, waste or mismanagement, potential violations of laws, rules, or regulations, or risks to patients, employees, or property to the OIG online or call the hotline at 1-800-488-8244. If you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 and speak with a qualified responder now.